Welcome to the FinOps Fridays podcast, where we discuss all things FinOps. It's an educational resource to help you learn and build your capability in all things FinOps. We're also here to have fun, so we'll make it entertaining, have a few laughs, and share a few stories. All right, so welcome to FinOps Fridays. This is a show to inform, educate, and build your capability on all things around FinOps. And of course, welcome to the very first episode. I'm the host, Nathan, and we're joined here today with our guest, Mike Fuller. So Mike is probably the godfather of FinOps. He's been doing it for a heck of a long time, as long as anyone else. Uh, He's been an enormous number of presentations and also literally wrote the book on it. So, Mike, uh, give us a quick introduction uh, of yourself. Yeah, thanks, Nathan, and uh, it's great to be on the first episode. Uh, yeah, my name is Mike Fuller. I've uh, been working at Atlassian for a bit over nine years now, and I'd say that probably a good seven or eight of those has been within the Cloud Center of Excellence at Atlassian. And uh, in the last 12 months, I've really uh, focused on building a dedicated FinOps team within Atlassian. And so, uh, you know, we've got data engineers and analysts now working full time on the FinOps or the cloud financial management space within Atlassian. So it's been a a good experience. Awesome. Awesome. So as I said, we're here today to talk about FinOps. We're going to introduce the topic, start at the high level. Uh, What exactly is FinOps? We're going to talk about why it's necessary and where you can go to, to, to get some learning. Um, so in terms of FinOps, you know, we hear the phrase FinOps. We also hear things like cloud financial management, cost optimization. Mike, give us the elevator pitch. What exactly is it and why is FinOps, cloud financial management, all the rest of them, why are they need it uh, today? Yeah, so I guess like, you know, a lot of companies are, are taking that that challenge to move into the cloud. And they're, at the same time, they're, they're often taking on agile uh, methodologies and doing things like DevOps within the organization. And when we look at things like DevOps, they really do in, uh, sort of encourage that self-servicement uh, model. And cloud is really sort of the best positioned to offer that self-service technology within the businesses. And as the company sort of brings that on and the engineers become sort of unblocked from the capacity of their, their data center and sort of given a lot of our new tools that play with, with their, their programming you know, and uh, service development, you find that um, cost isn't really a sort of second fiddle to that whole uh, excitement and, and teams will start to spin up lots of different services and then they'll get a lot of traction within the cloud. Um, but it usually always comes to a point where the company then starts to question this cloud bill that's come in. And um, we've sort of lost that uh, centralized control mechanism that you had with the data center where you had these really long procurement cycles that uh, ensured that every dollar that they were putting into the data center was you know, fairly well understood and correctly uh, allocated. Uh, when we move into that cloud uh, world, the, the, that sort of control mechanism goes away. And FinOps and, and I guess cloud financial management are synonymous for each other, but the point of it is to enable to keep that self-service platform, that keep the, the value of cloud, but at the same time making sure the business feels in control of their cloud spend. Awesome. Uh, now, some of the things, you know, you're talking about agility, you're talking about cloud fast-paced. Thinking back to the tin age when uh, you know servers and racks around the world, could you retrospectively or use FinOps in a data center? Okay, you're not procuring as quickly, but could you be using FinOps retrospectively to making sure you're driving higher efficiency and driving more value? Is it still applicable to, to data center on-prem? 
it, it, I mean, you could put that model against it. The, the big thing that cloud offers that, that the data center didn't was if you turned off the equipment in the cloud, it stops costing you money. And so there's a real incentive to keep your footprint as small as possible. Um, within the data center, you know, you turn stuff off, you might save some power, but it's really not a, a major driver in the, in the data center. And that equipment, you've sort of already sunk the cost on that equipment. Um, now, it, there is a sort of connectivity point there to capacity management that, you know, if you can free up spare capacity in the data center, you can do more with that capacity. And so there is a bit of a dotted line, but I think that, you know, your sort of more traditional IT spend models work much better in the data center than uh, FinOps, because FinOps is really around that sort of real-time management of cost um, you know, for these things where we can get that sort of iterative um, you know, reduction in spend for the company. Awesome, awesome. Now on to the most important thing, the naming. Uh, you know, when I saw the, the FinOps come out, I thought, you know, here we go again. We're just throwing ops onto the end of it, SecOps, DevOps, et cetera, et cetera. Um, how did it actually get the name? Why is it named that? Yeah, so I guess um, the, the sort of history goes right back. I think, um, you know, at some point, JR did a, um, a talk and he sort of was trying to parallel the, the principles of DevOps into the principles of, you know, what was cloud cost optimization was sort of the, the going term at the time. And so JR sort of coined this sort of FinOps term in one of his talks there. Um, fast forward a little bit longer, I think it was about two years later, um, we, we sort of set out to build the FinOps Foundation and, and naming was, was a kind of hard thing because we really wanted to, to be identified as something unique, you know, something that you could associate to this thing that we were going to build. Um, and it wasn't just more of the same that was already there in the market. Um, and so we could have you know, continued to use cloud cost optimization. Cost optimization has a real baggage of saving money and we wanted to really bring that conversation out a bit more. and and. Um, and so we kind of, yeah, we settled on FinOps. I, mean, I had the similar reaction at first was, oh, are we just sort of throwing ops on some on this thing and, and be done with it because you know everyone was doing it at the time. But um, I think over time, it's really helped us uh, explain what it is that we are about, which is that sort of bringing finance people and ops people together and enabling the conversation in that space within the business to happen a lot more freely. Um, and so it, it kind of does work well with using that naming um, for the sort of story that we're trying to tell. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it is a catchy name. It works well with FinOps Foundation. Uh, the advice I give to everyone is always, you know, don't get caught up on the names, FinOps, cloud financial management, cost optimization even, you know, they're all basically achieving the same thing. I think FinOps really focuses more on that business challenge to broaden it a little bit. But hey, at the end of the day, they're all trying to give you the same sort of thing. Uh, just as a point to JR, we're talking about JR Storman, uh, one of the other godfathers of cost optimization. You'll see his name pop up uh, and also a co-author of the book. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit around some of the artifacts that are available in the industry. You know, we've got the FinOps Foundation, we've got AWS or Microsoft, Google as well in terms of their cloud service providers. Uh, so in terms of the material that are actually out there for people, uh, AWS, uh, they're in about their eighth year, eighth revision of the well-architected framework. Um, that was my previous role, in case anyone didn't realize. Uh, it's probably the oldest and I dare say most refined work because it has been around for so long. 
Uh, it is taking not an AWS approach, but a very much conceptual generic approach to what the best practices are. They, of course, use examples for their platform and AWS. Uh, there's about a 50-page white paper and also a framework white paper, which is a cut-down version and the well-architected tool in the AWS console. Uh, Microsoft released a paper in about July 2020. Uh, they took a more FinOps-esque approach. By that, I mean the same similar approach as the FinOps Foundation with a design, provision, monitor, and optimize sort of cycle. Uh, they've also got a free online tool. You don't need to register. You can actually just go to that online tool and have a little look. There's no logins. Uh, again, theirs is about 50 or so pages, so some really good in-depth content there. Uh, Google has been going on a storm in terms of their production. They did release a paper in October 2020 uh, where they incorporated cost into performance and cost. Uh, and that was a cut down version of about four to five pages, but they've since been releasing uh, a lot of new material. I guess there is also the book. So we'll put a little icon or image of the FinOps book on that, uh, that Mike and JR authored. Mike, take me through the book. What was the process like uh, to write a book on this subject and actually just author a book in itself? Yeah, I guess it was a, a surprise for me. You know, it was a, something that I thought about, had prior thought about um, before JR approached me about writing. Um, but, you know, I was never the, the strong English person at, at, high, at high school. And so I think that my uh, high school teacher would, would laugh if they heard that I wrote a book. Um, but the uh, the concept sort of turned a little bit to more reality when uh, we, we talked to Arali and um, sort of about what would a book like this look like and um, you know what would be involved in, in writing it. Um, and so all, all of, right through sort of 2019, um, we spent you know, a lot of hours pouring uh, what sort of thoughts that we had. I, I, me coming from you know six, seven years of being a practitioner in this space and JR being many, many years longer in uh, being at the at a vendor and working alongside so many companies trying to figure it out right through to being very successful. Um, and so we'll talk about the foundation in a moment, but we took a lot of our thoughts through to the foundation to bounce it off of as many uh, industry specialists that we could in order for us to sort of refine what, what is FinOps and write that into a book. And in terms of how many revisions, how many times did you have to go through it was a case of, okay, we spent a lot of time working out the sort of the, the, the framework, the nuts and bolts, where everything goes, how much editing, revision, how much, you know, going into the language was there and work on that? We had the outline of chapters pretty early on, um, you know, for, for initial proposal um, and kind of had the concept of, you know, selling why you need FinOps, um, some, some concepts like the language of FinOps and um moving on to sort of explaining the, the the life cycle of finops and then sort of we, we knew that we sort of wanted to land um at a chapter which is sort of landing on that unit economics and sort of where we think that companies should strive to to achieve um, and so the structure was kind of fairly there early on and, and what we see in the book today was pretty much you know uh, what we landed on as far as structure goes but what was in those chapters that we sort of had earmarked out and how deep we go into each of the topics that was something that you know i think we spent spent a lot more than we expected to take in just refining that process and i think that um you know jr and i had a very optimistic view on how long it would take to write a book um and then throughout the whole of the year we sort of slowly refined and got to a okay this is what it takes to write a book and, and so it was it was basically uh 
a year, um, you know, straight from fairly you know, intensive sort of amounts of, of writing every week. And I always say to people that I, I think that you write two books and you get a book. And so for every chapter, we probably wrote, you know, twice the amount of content that, that actually ends up in the book. And there's that real sort of process of refining and whittling down what's important to be said and how can I say this in a much clearer and more concise way um, uh, throughout the process. Yeah, similar sort of experience with well architected. Like you look at the output and say, I could have done that, but what it takes to actually get there is a heck of a long work, a lot of work. Uh, in, in terms of how it gets updated, you know, things change, things move. You know, for things like the well architected, we took a very conceptual, generic approach, so we remained as, as you know as greenfields as possible, so that it wouldn't require updates as soon as the slightest technology change occurred. How did you approach that? How do you make sure it gets updated in the book? Did you take the same approach or are there going to be, you know, new revisions to the book coming out every so often? Yeah, I think for the most part, we, we tried a similar approach. We didn't want to write anything in there that was um, going to be immediately updated. And that's one thing we, we all can appreciate about the cloud is just how fast it moves. Um, and it's not to say that there will never be a point where the book has content that needs to be updated. And I think that, you know, JR and I are already in sort of talks about like, when is the right time and we keep sort of a bit of a, a pulse on what's happening and what changes and I don't think that it needs to be happening right now I think that you know everything in the book still fairly much stands uh, correct you know a year and a half later um, but um, definitely I think that you know fast forward another year year and a half that there's going to be stuff in that book that is just no longer relevant hopefully there's new new, op new offerings from the, the cloud providers or new ways to do things or new tools available to us as, as practitioners that we can now you know, refine some of those chapters. There's also a lot of things that we'd love to you know, go into more depth into in the book. And so I think if we did refine, it would be the opportunity to maybe add some extra content alongside those refinements. Yep. How did you juggle uh, in things like a, a lot of the terminology is quite vendor specific? How did you judge that to be as vendor neutral as possible and not use one particular vendor's phrasing or, or tooling or things like that? That was probably um, one of the things that we underestimated. You know, I spent uh, all my early, um, right up until the book, most of my uh, experience was AWS. And so it was very easy to fall in the trap of just explaining things uh, from an AWS perspective. Um, for the most part, we tried to use a, either a common term um, that was, you know, would apply to all, all the, the, usually the big three, you know, um, so AWS, Azure, and GCP. Um, but then where there were sections that were slight nuanced differences between the three, we would end up having three separate sections and actually um, describe it from the, that and allow the reader to sort of choose their own adventure. If, if the Amazon stuff wasn't interesting to them, they could just go straight through to the, to the Azure stuff and read that part of it. But for the most part, we're trying to find something that was generic across the three or we'd choose one of the vendor's terminologies and, and point out that it was synonymous to some other, other terms that the other vendors are using. Yep. And in terms of the flow, um, how do you build a book on, you know, is there a way in which you can create somewhat of a story, a journey through FinOps from start to finish, or are they sort of discrete chunks? Tell me about sort of the flow and the chapters, how they're sort of tied together and, and constructed. Yeah, I think there's like, um, it's whenever you try and teach someone a topic, you very quickly realize that the sort of amount of assumed knowledge that you have and when you start to unpack a topic, you know, you, you sort of 
you start a sentence and then you go, well, hang on, I need to tell you about something else first. And then as you're telling them about that thing, you realize you need to tell them about something else first. And so there was this balance of finding where is that assumed level of knowledge for the book and setting that tone. Um, and so we set that, you know, sort of that uh, basic essentials level sort of understanding of cloud. So you understand the terms of cloud. I'm not having to explain those basic things um, in order to start and, and point out in the, in the, preface where you can go get those sorts of information in order to you sort of get yourself leveled for the book. Then um, as far as the, the order of things then become just really like how's the sort of progression of knowledge that we're trying to teach you through the book. So we start with the, you know, the why you need this, the what is it that we're doing and then the, the hows. Um, and so as, as much as possible, we tried to make sure that we we're doing those things in that order. Um, and then there was a few times where we would comb through the book and just say, well, are we talking about a topic that has not yet been explained prior to this point and make sure that we move those explainers in the right order? Um, you know, it, it is a, it's an interesting exercise. And I think that if I was writing books every year, I'd be really great at it. And I can't say that it was, um, I think we got it really good. And, but, and you know, I'm always open to feedback if you do read the book and you think there's a topic that we didn't explain better let us know and we can fix that in, in Gen 2. Awesome, awesome. And how should people use it? You know, if you are up to speed, you've been using the cloud, you understand it, is it a book that you have sitting there just as a bit of reference you want to focus or should you really read it from start to finish, make sure you've got a good broad understanding of everything and then sort of keep it on file for a reference? What would you recommend? Yeah, look, I think... Um it does play well for the people starting out as far as really getting an understanding of the whole space and getting the the aligning of the perspective that we're trying to apply towards cloud spending if for those who have been around in the industry for years it's a good way to validate that the way they're thinking aligns with FinOps, and or maybe they can come and um, you know help us make some adjustments um, you know it, we see it as an evolving art and we really want more contributions um, the, I think the other thing that can work really well with the book is, is using it to help get others on side. You know, when you're trying to sort of pitch to your, your, your C team to in, invest into FinOps or you're trying to get engineers on side with the concepts that you're trying to push, being able to sort of point to a chapter and say, like, this is the, the, the underlying you know, reason why we're doing it this way. The, the goals that we're trying to achieve are based on this sort of modeling. Um, and then hopefully that can help you sort of open those conversations and land them. Awesome. Awesome. All right. We're going to take a very short break and we're going to jump into our lightning round questions. Mike, are you ready? I'm ready. Awesome. Your time starts now. Pineapple on pizza. Yes or no? Uh, I would not choose it, but I'm not, not adverse to eating it. Beetroot on burgers. Yes or no? Yes. Cat or a dog person? Uh, I have dogs, but I like cats. Red or white wine? Uh, I go the red. Beer or spirits? Uh, spirits. Do you ask permission or beg for forgiveness? Uh, I think that really comes down to the uh, the likelihood of getting forgiveness. <laughs> awesome. Uh, your favourite movie or director, producer? That's a tough one, but at the top of mind, I would go with The Matrix. Awesome. Uh, tea or coffee? Uh, coffee in the morning, tea at night. Favourite TV series? Uh, probably have to be The Strangest thing, Stranger Things. Favourite song or musician? 
uh, I think if you saw my Spotify playlists, uh, you would be everywhere and anywhere. Um, everything from you know old 80s and 70s rock right through to electronic. So it's kind of a bit of everything. Nice. Uh, your favourite food or favourite dish, either or? Uh, look, if I go with favourite food, it's going to have to be some form of treat of chocolate or something like that. But if we go for dish, maybe something like a you know, Mexican burrito or something. Nice, nice. Uh, on holidays, is your preference for active activities or to relax and do nothing? I'm good at relaxing and doing nothing, but I, I definitely favour going out and getting active, getting into active. Nice. Uh, do you prefer buildings, architecture or nature? I'll go with nature. Awesome. Favourite vacation location? Uh, I live out on a rural property and so I just like being out here, getting away from the city. Nice. Uh, text or talk? Uh, text for, for main things and talk to friends. Uh, childhood nickname? Uh, most people call me Fuller. <laughs> Typical Australian, that's the way. Uh, your yeah. proudest moment or a moment that stands out? Uh, you know, I'd have to say my kids. I love, uh, love them to death. And then if I look at career-wise, um, yeah, I guess holding that book in my hand for the first time to say I achieved it. Awesome. All right. Uh, we have a score of 87. Pretty strong out of the gate. Uh, you appear to have been held back uh, specifying 80s music. Uh, <laughs> bit of blue light disco. Not sure what happened then, but that let you down a little bit. All right. So back into the FinOps. Uh, so let's talk a little bit more about the FinOps Foundation. Uh, tell me, g give me an overview of what the foundation is, what the need was. Where did it actually come from? Yeah, so I guess like being on the talk tracks like you've been as well on over the years, um, you know, from 2015, I got into it and for a few years I was doing a lot of what I would say cost optimization talks and really sort of focusing in on, on those levers, the, the buying RIs, what is right sizing, those sort of the real sort of fundamental mechanics of how to reduce spend. Um, at the end of those talks, you would often get asked about like, you know, people understood how RIs work, but how did you get your business to get on board with buying them? And there was this, this what I would understand from that was this, that there's this understanding of how to convince the business to do cost optimization, not the cost optimization itself. Um, and then, you know, over the years I've worked alongside JR, we, we sort of both come together and sort of realized that we both felt the same thing, that there was this missing conversation about how do you get the business to buy into it? How do you set up the, the org structure or the cultural change in the business for these mechanisms to be actually actioned? And so um, that's where sort of where we really sort of set out to then think, well, we need to define what makes people successful. What is the commonality between, you know, these, these people who are getting up on stage and talking about success within the cloud financial management space? What makes them common uh, you know, story about why they're successful? And can we put that together and, and I guess make a community of people to, to share that knowledge and avoid those bill shock moments that you, know, you always hear about with companies that didn't pay attention to their bill until it got to six figures or whatever it was. And, and then they start to realize they needed something. Um, and so what we realized though, was once we started the foundation that there was a lot of people coming out going, oh, this is what I've been doing. Um, I just didn't know it had a name, and and so it was kind of a uh, you know confirming moment for us that that there was a need for bringing community together and saying you know we all are doing this thing. It is a job role that companies have, but just no one really had a a sort of 
you know, term for it or a group that you could point at like you could with, say, developer or, you know, HR personnel or something like that. Yeah, awesome. Uh, and what's what would be the vision of the foundation? You know, you've specified, you've spoken about the community bringing people together. What would you say is a sort of the vision, the purpose, the drive behind the foundation, what it's trying to achieve? Yeah, so we the main thing that we want to do is enable the pract- practitioner. So, you know, someone who's either been doing like cloud financial management or FinOps within their org or they're wanting to start doing it within an organization, how do we enable them to get started, to get um, success? And you know, when we bring in the, the conversation of other practitioners, when we bring in the vendors to say, you know, what they've they've got years of knowledge in this field. That's you know, half the time the people that work at, at vendors have come from you know being a practitioner somewhere or, or being part of that whole space for years and years. And so getting them in the in the conversation and and more recently, you know, when we brought uh, the conversation in with Google, we're seeing the the CSPs getting involved in that conversation and. It's really, I think, bringing it together so we can use the smartest minds together to enable all of the practitioners across the um, you know, the company space to be successful at keeping uh, efficient spend. Yeah, awesome. Uh, and tell me some of the work that's being done. You know, you spoke about building that community. There's, there's an enormous amount of people on Slack that are actively communing, uh, communicating. Uh, you've got the monthly, I think, little mini events that happen. There's authoring of content. What's actually going on uh, from a tactical perspective? Like what's happening in the foundation? Yeah, so there's a few different things. Um, there's obviously the foundation and the operations of the foundation itself. So there's a there is a governing board that sort of overarches how the you know as the foundation runs as, as a company um, underneath the, the Linux Foundation. Then uh, we have the Technical Advisory Council that, or the TAC as we call it, which has uh, you know a pile of uh, members in the TAC, which helps sort of guide what is the messaging from a technical standpoint that FinOps Foundation is releasing. And what sits underneath that TAC is then uh, special interest groups focusing in on things like um, you know, finance and uh, the capabilities of the framework of FinOps. And um, and so these special interest groups are, you know, a group of uh, practitioner members, vendor members, that they're, they're then just focusing in on a set of questions or a, a answering a set of, um, you know, challenges that they're seeing. And so we, that's where we've seen things like the, um, the FinOps Foundation uh, cost allocation of uh, containerization. White paper is a good example where that special interest group really took away of how do we share out those those combined costs that happen in, inside of containerized environments and um, and then that would go through to the TAC to make sure that you know everyone in the TAC is okay with all of the messaging in there and then it gets released from the foundation perspective. Outside of that, we then just have working groups, which are very sort of small groups trying to answer a very single question or, or just create one piece of content. Um, they're meant to sort of come and go as as the as the community needs to see, um, and then all of this then yeah flows into our, our public spacing blog, into the the mini summits um, that happen where we get uh, people to come and talk about a, a theme topic topic for each month, um, and then um, overlaying on that we have the the, the FinOps survey that we we want to do every year that helps us sort of guide the topics and the, the SIGs and the working groups that we have to make sure that we're working on the, the things that practitioners are looking for answers on. 
Yeah, awesome, awesome. Uh, at this point, we'd normally stop for the mailbag episode where we talk about feedback, any uh, feedback that we've got from people out there. This is the first episode, so there is none. Uh, but as I mentioned, if you want to get in contact, if you want to ask some questions on this episode, we'll address them in next episode. Uh, the email address is feedback at finopsfridays.com. Uh, so going a little bit further, deeper into the into FinOps, the content itself, I want to talk a bit more detail around that. We've got the three main cycles, inform, optimize, and operate. What exactly are they and why those particular three? Yeah, so I think um, you know, we start with inform. It's really just figuring out where you are on the map. Like what are you spending? Where is that spend coming from? It's, it's, it's the insights phase, you know, really. It's trying to build up that knowledge of where you are. Optimizers really looking across that map and thinking about what are the things that we could do, you know, and so, you know, what are the opportunities in front of us in order to optimize our cloud in some way and setting goals, KPIs, targets on those uh, paths that we want to take. And then when we get into the operate phase, we're really looking at what are the processes, who, who's, what's the responsibilities we need to put down, what is that automation that we'd like to, to impose in order to achieve those goals. Um, and then after we've you know, implemented um, some change or a new process or whatever, we want to go back to inform and make sure that we, that, that impact of that operate phase is now putting us on that correct path towards those goals. And so we, we'd like it, we call it the FinOps lifecycle or more recently we really started to refer to it as the FinOps phases. Um, and the idea here isn't just that you're like one overarching you know, phase, like each individual thing you're doing within FinOps sort of runs through its own um, cycle through this uh, phase cycles. And so you might look at just being able to cost allocate as one topic area, one capability that you need. And so you'd look at, well, how much of our you know infrastructure is allocated to teams correctly and in the inform phase? Then we'd say, well, can we drive up tag coverage, you know, throughout our infrastructure or label coverage for, for GCP people? Um, and we say, well, we want to get our tag coverage from 50 to 75%. And then you'd go to the operate phase and you might look at, you know, some form of automation to remove untagged resources or building out better you know, practices within the CICD pipelines or whatever it is. And then you come back to inform and see if tag coverage is increasing and hitting those goals um, and remeasure yourself. At the same time, you're going to be doing things, you know, the same sort of phase cycle for you know reservations and right sizing and, and so each of these practices or capabilities will be going through this cycle of, of figuring out where you are where you want to be and then what things you need to do to sort of get you there yeah and i love the focus on the cycle and that was something i was talking with some colleagues uh just this week around uh the feedback from a customer was hey what do i do when i've optimized everything my response was well do you stop doing security when everything is secure? It's exactly the same answer. You either go to the next thing, you know, you can go deeper, you know, something like commitment discounts, you can go deeper and get more advanced, or you can jump onto the next thing depending upon where you're at. Uh, so making sure that it is a continual cycle, your job's never done. Uh, it's a really, really important point to make. Um, where do you see customers getting some really big and easy ones and saying, wow, this thing is really delivering? Like what sort of phases, maybe one or two that the big hits in terms of tasks, uh, where they're getting value? I think the, the first one that we often hear is the first thing that people tackle is just that, that cost um, awareness and cost allocation. So being able to say, well, what are the cost drivers? Which teams are generating cost? And 
you know, so a lot of the time when, um, unfortunately, companies sort of start to really need FinOps is when they hit that bill shock moment. We really love to get there before that bill shock moment so they, they avoid it altogether. But once they get to, to that moment where they really want to understand their cloud bill, they're just getting this, you know, PDF at the end of the month and they're not really sure which teams are driving it. That inform phase and, and allocation um, capability really does make teams feel like they understand their cloud costs a lot more. Um, when we look at the actual optimization levers, there's like a bit of a uh, um, sort of ease of like the, the speed that you can execute or optimization and how much value you get from that. Um, and some, some um, you know, optimizations are very low effort, things like savings plans and, and reservations, uh, committed use discounts, those sorts of things are a low effort. They have a commitment and there's a lot of working out from a financial perspective, but they're fairly low, low effort, especially for your engineers in the organization, but have a very high value for the business. And so being able to build out this inform, optimize, operate phase for reservations. So you start small, start to get some, some reservations down, show the, the impact that it's having on your, your, your cloud spend, uh, the cloud efficiency, and then start to really get that you know, to, a, to a mature level. So you're getting good, good optimizations. And then for all of the capabilities, and that's one thing that we're working heavily on in the foundation at the moment, is really sort of building that framework of all the capabilities that you can have is then sort of looking at well, how do we then um, pick which ones next to get a, attention from our, our, our FinOps practitioners and which ones can we hold off on working on right now and get the benefit of those later when we have more free time. Yeah, awesome. And, and again, I mean, yeah, I, I love the commitment discounts and it's interesting, you know, somebody with zero, you know, training qualifications in FinOps, they can have a couple of clicks in a console and have a 20 to 40% generally impact on the bill in terms of discounts. So they are so definitely the entry points just to show the value. Where do customers struggle? What are some of the things, you know, organizational change? Are there some technical aspects of FinOps where customers struggle to make that progress and impact? Or, you know, is it the start actually saying we need to do FinOps getting that buy-in? Yeah, so I think there's um, there's a couple of things here. There's, there's the cloud is, is quite different for companies, right? And, I think that the companies are very well structured to understand the the cultural change that they're going to have to go through from an engineering perspective, and they really do sort of go into cloud with a very sort of um, deep understanding that their engineers are going to have to skill up. They're really going to have to level up the, what they're doing within um, the sort of DevOps uh, world. I think what's not not really happening very well at companies is realizing that the cho choice to do cloud also impacts the financial side of the house. Um, it's, it's usually sort of a after the fact you realize that it has these impacts um, and so helping bring the, the finance team into the idea that this cloud transformation is not just an engineering transformation it's actually a whole business transforms and then to what you're then saying about the culture is you then realize that all the personas involved in this cultural change of cloud it's not just you know a, a engineering change and change in culture but uh, you know the business leaders need to set sort of direction on what you know sort of a cloud efficiency they're expecting to get from cloud and then finance people are able to then track towards that and the finance practitioner is really there just to help grease the wheels of that whole process of culture change with cloud financial management not just a cloud transformation yes yeah, so interesting you bring around the finance people and bring that into the game as well uh, every now and then I'll run into a customer that says, you know, we've got no financial constraints. My answer is I can give you, you know, 25 billion reasons why you should do FinOps 
which is, you know, was sort of NASA's budget to get to the moon, whatever it was. Um, so I find it odd that customers think they don't have financial constraints when arguably one of the largest projects in human history getting to the moon actually had a budget. So, so it's interesting that customers don't think that they've got constraints when they honestly still have to pay their bills like everyone else. Yeah, the, the uh, need to get to cloud at, at any cost mentality, right? Until they get the cost. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, now, is there a particular size of company, size or bill that sort of really triggers a serious investment in FinOps or is it, you know, you need to be doing it from day one like everything else? Yeah, so we set out to find out the answer to this when we were writing the book. And I think naively we set out with the thinking that, you know, it was just once you hit a certain dollar spend, then you needed FinOps. Um, and what we realized, though, there was a, it's sort of two things, major things at play here. It's it's the dollars spent. So like, obviously, I don't think you need FinOps if you're spending $1,000 a month. Right? It's enough that you probably can figure out exactly what's going on and optimize it uh, without really a whole framework and, and process. But... Um, at the same time, if you have a centralized single engineering team that's doing everything in cloud, it's not actually a huge uh, number of cloud resources, but it is a, a decent amount of spend. Once again, you're probably finding it fairly easy to keep control and keep track of your cloud costs. And so it's a, it's a play on how complex is the footprint of cloud in your organization. Like for, for you know, many companies, they move to this agile DevOps world, it starts then becoming, instead of one centralized team, it becomes many teams around the organization. Um, some companies have got, you know, sub-entities, sub-organizations that sort of report differently to the main organization. And so that complexity and how the cloud is, is consumed within the business on top of the size of the cloud spend. And so I think that you can see cloud, um, you know, companies with 50K of cloud spend and, and very complex organization um, operation in cloud that die a need of FinOps. And then at the same token, you can see companies spending a million dollars a month, uh, but a very simple way they operate within cloud. And, you know, I'd argue other things about getting full cloud value and, and the first company's probably getting more value, but um, you know, that simplicity of the way they're using and consuming cloud might actually mean that they don't need as FinOps in, in as big a um, sense. But I'd say that the one thing that we've really tried to push from from the beginning of starting the FinOps Foundation was we want to really prevent companies from getting to that bill shock moment, right? And the sooner you have some form of FinOps practice within your organization, the sooner you know you've got your, your fingers on the pulse. That 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 moment when you realize the cloud bills, you know, got an extra zero in the end than you thought it did, we can avoid that moment because you're, you're building that that awareness, that culture of uh, cost is important. Um, and efficiency as a focus area for the business as you grow in your cloud. Yeah, and I normally tell customers, you know, think about what your security effort is like, think about what your operations effort in. If you're smaller, yes, it's gonna be smaller, but you need to do it to some extent. That's sort of a bit of a quick rough estimate. What are you investing in those other domains uh, in IT? FinOps should be sort of somewhere along those lines as well. Um, and as you said, in terms of, you know, you wait till it becomes a big, stinking, burning pile of inefficiency. Well, guess what? You've then got to go and undo that and rebuild that. That's going to halt any progress innovation. And the time and effort involved to undo that's going to be enormous. Um, so what would you say, you know, in sort of closing it out, you know, what's going to be if customers decide, hey, look, I don't need FinOps. I'm not going to do it. Bill shock. What's going to happen? What do you think is sort of the doomsday end of, end of day's picture around that if they choose not to? 
I, I think the, the sad stories that I've heard over time has been where they, they have a company that's got a, a cloud movement inside the company. They, they go hard on, on adopting the cloud. They have the bill shock moment and then there's this pullback from cloud and the, the teams then lose that, you know, that encouragement. They lose the momentum towards cloud. The, the things that they got excited about uh, achieving with cloud become back burner to just getting the cost of cloud down. And I think that if you can avoid that, like stop everything and definitely if you can avoid the pullback from cloud moments, just by the company feeling in control. I feel like all of those um, examples are here of stories like that. It all comes from the fact that at some point the business feels like it's out of control of the spend. And if you just adopt, you know, the basic layer, you know, very simple first steps of FinOps, you'll start to feel and, and understand that you can control that cloud spend without stopping the show, without preventing people from building anything. It's about being aware. And I think, you know, generally, Engineers like to do the right thing as they just need to be given the guidance of that there is a right thing here and, and that the, the, the cost of cloud needs to be taken in as just another metric. And usually if you give uh, engineers metrics, they, they optimize for them, right? They do it already for their services. Um, and it's, yeah, it's just, I think it's just that like avoid that pullback from cloud. It, it, it's not usually a good story for the business. And interesting, you sort of call out the sort of, uh, Bordingly, you know, the, the morale of, of the team that, you know, you're excited, you're pumped, you're doing work, you're getting feedback and then breaks on. Uh, I guess the knock-on effect of that, if you start to lose engineers because they're not doing anything exciting, all of a sudden your business has stopped the innovation and making progress. And then it's gone backwards because you've lost all your talent, things like that. So knowledge management processes around that. Um, the impact could be severe and very, very significant to try and build that momentum up, not just, you know, around the actual bill of IT. Awesome, so where can customers find more information? As I mentioned before, each of the vendors have their frameworks. You've got AWS well-architected and also Azure has well-architected. Uh, GCP has a cloud architecture framework. Uh, we've also got the FinOps book available from Mike and JR in both paper and Kindle. Uh, the FinOps Foundation, Mike, where's the best place to get information about the FinOps Foundation, their white papers, their material? Yeah, all of it's published on fitops.org. Uh, so simple name, simple domain, you can get to it. And uh, yeah, you can sign up as a practitioner or a vendor and uh, get, get, get in that Slack space and start communicating with everybody. It's, it's a really open space. Awesome. Thank you very much, Mike. So that's it for today. That's a wrap on our very first FinOps Friday. If you have any feedback, if you've got any questions like myself or Mike to get a little bit more detailed information on, please send us an email at feedback at finopsfridays.com and we'll address it in the mailbag segment of the next episode. So Mike, thank you very much for your efforts and uh, let's see how we go with FinOps. Thanks, mate. Thanks for having me. Awesome. On. Thank you. Thanks. So that is it for another episode of FinOps Fridays. If you have any questions or feedback on this episode or would like to learn more, please feel free to reach out to us at finopsfridays at aptio.com. Also like and subscribe to get updates for future episodes.